Uh, God, we come before you this morning uh, knowing the weakness of our hearts, uh, knowing that we are fraught with sin, uh, that we in this life experience difficulties, um, but you, through your grace and mercy, have rescued us uh, through our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we have just sang about a rescue which we do not deserve as uh, we are vile and filthy and wretched sinners, uh, enemies of you, and that you would, by your grace, reach down and come and draw near, uh, that you would take on our wrath and our sin, the wrath and sin that we deserve And so we rejoice this morning, not in our works, but in Jesus Christ, rejoicing in his finished work on the cross. Uh, So this morning we pray as we come to your word, gathering together to worship you, um, that your spirit would be powerful to work through your word, that the word proclaimed this morning would not return void, but that it would capture our hearts that it would open our eyes to see the wonder of Jesus Christ, the wonder of your grace and your mercy. Uh, So God, we come this morning asking for you to be faithful to your promises. Through your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, If anyone can open their Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a, a story that I know we've looked at in the past and uh, it's probably familiar to most of us and hopefully shed some new light on it and encourage our hearts this morning with uh, the truth of God's word. Mark chapter 4, let's start in verse 35. Uh, Mark 4 verse 35 says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, That is, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in their boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Um, As we jump into this text this morning, I just want to ask a question to kind of get our thoughts going. Um, Does your practical theology reflect your proclaimed theology? Does your practical theology reflect your proclaimed theology? And what I mean by that is, All of us have a theology that influences our life, that when things come into our life, whether it's a a storm or 
happy times, good times, as we sang about in that first song this morning, by his mercy. Whether it's the good times or the bad times, we all have a, a theology that guides our life and our decisions. Yet so often, we also proclaim something that is completely opposite. You know, we, we know God's word, we know who God is, we can talk about the character of God, we can talk about his sovereignty, we can talk about Jesus, that he came, that he died on the cross, we know these facts, and the truth about theology. But there's often a, a disconnect between the theology we know and proclaim and what is actually true in our life. And so this morning, this story, I think, would help us reflect on our, the disconnect between our proclaimed theology and our practical theology. So let's jump into the text. What, in effect, um, in the story is uh, chapter 35, or verse 35 through 37 kind of provides the color for the story. And what I really want to focus on is the conversation that the disciples had with Jesus, Jesus with the storm, and Jesus with his disciples. So the color of the story, the context uh, to their conversation is that the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee, which is... Uh, as you probably know, a sea or a, a lake that the, the disciples were fairly familiar with. Some of them were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and they grew up on the boat on the lake, and they, they knew the lake inside out. And yet we have a surprising situation, a surprising situation of suffering that comes into their life because what we find is that as they get into the boat, rowing across or sailing across, a windstorm arises where they have no control over it. And the waves are crashing into the boat so badly that the disciples, again, who grew up on the boat, were scared for their life. And so there's a surprising situation of, of suffering. You know, things didn't go as planned. They planned to just get in the boat and row across, just like they've done thousands of times before. Um, but they, they were feeling helpless in, the, in this situation as their suffering was weighing upon them. And I think we can find uh, a solidarity or um, a level of connection with these disciples. You know, we, we often, some of us don't necessarily have big sufferings that come into our lives. But, you know, even the little things, when things don't go as planned, how do you respond to those things that don't go as planned. You know, um, I was driving home on Thursday afternoon in the, in the snowstorm, and at one point I was stuck at a light for 20 minutes because cars couldn't drive up a hill. And, you know, my response probably wasn't the best. You know, that's not a huge suffering, but it's something that came into my life that I wasn't expecting. And how did I respond? Well, I didn't respond very well. I was responded more like the disciples than, than how I should have. And so what I want us to do is to think about our lives in connection with this story this morning and see how even the little things in life that come, you know, when you're tired and something really irritates you, or, uh, and to see how these little things in life are really a reflection of our theology. And so we're going to use the disciples as a mirror for us this morning to examine our lives, to examine our response to difficult circumstances, whether they be large waves crashing into our boat 
or if they're something simple as traffic. Um, so the color of the story is that they're in this boat and the waves are crashing. And, and what is, uh, first off, before we get to their response, what, what was Jesus' response to the storm? If we look at in verse 37, or 38, it says, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Here we have this storm that is coming, and Jesus is part of it. I mean, he's, he's in the boat. The waves are crashing. He's probably soaking wet and cold as he's sleeping there, which is crazy to think about that he's still sleeping through this, but he's sleeping there. And we need to ask ourselves, why is Jesus sleeping? And see, sleep in the, the Bible, in the, especially in the Old Testament and throughout the Psalms, is a picture of trusting in God. See, Jesus trusted in his Father so much that he could sleep through the storm. Now, sleep didn't mean that he didn't care about the disciples or didn't care about what was going on. It was a reflection of his trusting and resting in God's promises. You see, he, he knew God. I mean, he was God. He was part of the Trinity. And he, but he knew God, and he knew God's power and his sovereignty. He knew God's promises. He knew that he was going to die a death on the cross. Which means that if he was going to die a death on the cross for our sins, that he couldn't die in a boat, a boating accident, because of some waves and some wind. And so Jesus, as a result of knowing God, of knowing God's promises, trusted God with his life. You see, in Jesus, we find the example of his proclaimed theology of God the Father, his promises, redemption, influencing his practical theology, which allowed him to trust and rest in God even in the difficult circumstances of life. In contrast, we see the disciples. So as Jesus is asleep on the cushion, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? And here we see a few things. We see some presumptions that the disciples make that reflects the theology that they actually hold to in their life, even if it's not what they would say. They made some presumptions about Jesus, that Jesus was not loving them as he was asleep on the cushion. They made presumption that Jesus was uncaring. Made a presumption that Jesus couldn't really save them in that moment. And they made a presumption that in this, because Jesus was asleep and not really taking control of the situation and caring for them, that, you know, he, he really wasn't the Messiah. Again, the disciples should have known that Jesus was going to rescue them. And they didn't trust in God's plan of the rescue, proclaiming that they didn't trust God, they didn't think that Jesus was loving, they didn't think that he was caring for them, they didn't think that he was the Messiah. 
They also made some presumptions about God. They said that, that he doesn't know what is best. You know, what the disciples said, what is best for me is that I cross this sea safely, get to the other side without this storm. Thinking that God doesn't know what I really need. Presuming that God is not sovereign, that he's not good, that he doesn't care for his people, that he's not faithful to his promise, and that he cannot save. They made some presumptions about themselves as well, thinking that I am worth saving, thinking that I don't deserve death, thinking that I don't need God's discipline. And so there's some huge presumptions that the disciples make in this statement of, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? That I think we need to reflect on in our lives. Is when we respond to suffering, when we respond to those difficult things in a similar way and say, Lord, don't you care? When I'm driving home and stuck in traffic, Lord, don't you care? When something goes wrong with your car and your car breaks down, Lord, don't you care? When someone gets sick or you are sick, Lord, don't you care? And what we're doing is acting just like the disciples, questioning God's faithfulness, questioning God's promises, questioning God's very character. So do you really believe in God's sovereignty? Do you really trust him? Like Jesus who who knew God's promises and trusted and rested in him. You see, we need to remember that God is in control. That when those events of life crash down, into our boat, threatening to drown us, that God is the one who's in control. You know, it's not a surprise to him that the storm arose. He's probably the one who ordained the storm. He's not surprised by these events, these difficulties when things go wrong. He's not surprised by that. He's the one who's ordaining it all. And so do you, do you believe in his, his sovereignty? Do you, are you like this psalmist who finds refuge, even in the storm, raging around him that he finds refuge and safety in God, that God is his hope, that God is his trust? And even as God is in control of these situations, even as we acknowledge God's Sovereignty in them, it goes deeper than just acknowledging God's sovereignty. It's God cares about his children. You see, God's silence doesn't necessarily indicate a lack of caring. He is still working out in our lives for redemption. God is after something 
much bigger than our comfort, much bigger than our safety. God is about us trusting and resting in Him and entrusting and resting in Him, glorifying Him with our life. And we can have confidence that even in the storms of life, even when the waves are crashing, that God is after something bigger. You know, in the book of Romans, it says that God, call, those who he calls, he justifies. Those who he justifies, he sanctifies. And those sanctified will also be glorified. And we can have a confidence that God, if we have been called and justified, will sanctify us. And sanctification doesn't always look easy. You know, it's often described as a pruning. Uh, and a pruning is not necessarily the, the most comfortable for the tree. But yet, the pruning results in fruit. And so God or sovereignly brings us through the events of our life, whether they be big events or little events, for the purpose of sanctifying us for his glory, for the purpose of bringing out his redemptive purposes in our life. These events were designed by him for our good, as it says in, in Romans 8, for our good and for his glory. These, these sufferings, these little things, these big things were designed by God to discipline us as children. So it says in Hebrews that if we don't experience God's discipline, God's instruction in our life, then we are not sons and daughters. And so we need to remember that as we live our life and we go through difficulties, that God is at work redeeming us. And we need to rejoice in his gracious work in our life, even if it's difficult, even if it seems painful. See, it's not about ignoring the reality of pain, but learning to trust God through it. As he changes your heart and mind according to his redemptive purposes. It's not just about ignoring the pain and uh, saying, let us eat and drink and be married for tomorrow we die. It's learning to uh, glorify God through that pain, through that difficulty, as God changes our minds, changes our hearts to do what? To see God's promises, to see his faithfulness in our life. And as he sees, or as we see God in his faithfulness, that our reaction to the storms is going to be completely different. Our reaction to the storm is going to be a simple trusting in God. Not necessarily living as if the storm doesn't exist, acknowledging the storm, but trusting God, sleeping, trusting and resting in God through the storm. See, our problem, our problem is that we are often too consumed with ourselves and as we are too consumed with ourselves and our supposed problems, is that we fail to see God's redemptive purpose in it all. And the result is that we respond like the disciples who are focused completely and entirely on the temporal. Instead of focusing on the eternal, focusing on what God is doing, how God is working in their life. That this was pointing to the future of when Christ was going to die on the cross, the suffering was really going to come, and that Jesus, even in that moment, trusted in God. 
So as we reflect on the disciples' reaction to the storm, um, just want to ask, do you, do you know God? Do you really know God? And I know we, we proclaim that we know God. But does your practical theology, does your life, how you live, how you respond, what's your natural reaction to those difficulties, does it reflect that you know God? Does it reflect that you know his promises? Do you really trust and believe in God's sovereignty? The story continues, is that they woke Jesus in their fear and in their lack of trusting in God. They, they woke Jesus, um, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And then he turns to his disciples and says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So the first thing that Jesus does is he Rebukes, rebukes creation. You see, in this, Jesus is graciously showing his power to save. The disciples who didn't believe that, believe that re, he really was the Messiah, that he really was God, that he really had the power to save, shows that to them. By showing his power over creation, by speaking a word, and the wind and the sea, not just settling down, but coming to a, a great calm. See, what, what Jesus is doing is, uh, in Psalm 107, if you take time to look at that later, it kind of describes this very thing of Jesus, or God, calming the storm. And the, the theme throughout this psalm is, as God is showing his sovereign control, is that he is showing his steadfast love, showing that he is trustworthy, and so that even as these storms of life come and they crash onto our boat, that God is trustworthy, that God is in control, that God is working, that God will not let his people perish, and that he will accomplish his redemptive purpose. And so Jesus calms the storm to show the, his disciples, to show us that he, in fact, is trustworthy. That even when we don't understand what's going on, even when these surprising situations of suffering arise in our life, that we can trust in God who is orchestrating it all. That God has made promises and God will fulfill his promises. So after rebuking the wind and the, the sea for the sake of his disciples, he turns and now rebukes his disciples. He confronts them and calls them to repentance. He says, why are, you still, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Calling them to this very thing that their proclaimed theology, what they should really know about Jesus, what they should know about God from the Old Testament wasn't affecting their life. As in this moment of suffering and difficulty that they were being tossed by the sea, they were being tossed by their doubts, they were not trusting in God. Rather, they were trusting in their own strength to get them through, which was failing them. 
And so Jesus calls them to repentance, calls them to trust in himself, calls them to have faith. And this faith isn't a faith in their own faithfulness. It's not just a calling them to just have more faith. It's a call for them to have more faith in Jesus, which requires that we know God more. See, the more that our relationships develop, we know this in our life, the more that we get to know someone, the more we share with them, the more we trust them, the closer we get. And the same is with God. Is that the more we spend time in God's word, the more we study, the more we meditate, the more we pray, the more our proclaimed theology, the, the theology of Scripture, will impact our practical theology, will impact our life as we live. And so the call that Jesus had on his disciples was to come back and to, to know who he is, to know that he was the Messiah, to know that he is God, to know that he is not going to let his people perish, to know that he has redemptive purposes that are bigger than just one storm on a little sea. The more that you know God, the more you will trust in him. The disciples' response is interesting as Jesus confronts them. Is that they were filled with great fear. In verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I don't think the disciples' response was the best. Because what Jesus was calling them to was to to repent and believe in who Jesus was. And their response is, wow, wasn't that a great miracle? Who is this guy who can calm the storm? Who is this guy who can give us what we really want? thinking that crossing the sea on a nice day is what they really wanted. Kind of reminds me of Christmas morning when you get that present that you just really longed for and you're in all of that that present, but there's really nothing to it. There's no satisfaction there. You see, the disciples didn't repent in this story. So even as God showed himself They didn't really get it. Their response wasn't going back to the cross, wasn't going back to repentance. Wasn't trusting in God. It was thankful that God gave them what they thought they really wanted. So I just want to reflect as we bring the story to a close. Do you really know and trust God? And is that really affecting your life? Do you pursue knowing him? Do you pursue studying God's word? Pursue praying? Asking that God would come and change your life, that he would change my life? That the words that I speak would be God's truth? Do you really know and trust God? And does your practical theology match your proclaimed theology. And the call of the passage, again, isn't, well, I just need to have more faith. The call is the same call that 
Christ gives in the book of Mark that says, Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Come to the cross. Repenting of our sins. Acknowledging that our our life is not lived trusting in God. That we are not worshiping God with our life as evidenced by our response to those difficulties that come. To repent and pursue knowing him. To spend time thinking about his promises. Thinking about his promises fulfilled in Christ. That he has forgiven our sins. That we no longer bear the condemnation and the weight of our guilt and our shame. But we have been set free. And so God is truly a sovereign God. God is sovereignly working in our life for his redemptive purposes. Let us take a lesson from the disciples and repent and believe, trusting in God as our Savior. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. We often don't trust you. Uh, we don't trust you, and we, it's evidenced in our response to the difficulties in our life, our response to the good times. And so we pray that you would teach us of yourself. Pray that you would give us a discipline to spend time studying your word, to spend time meditating on the truth, spend time praying. And I pray that you would come and do a work in our hearts that we cannot do as we come in repentance, trusting in Jesus Christ alone. So God, we thank you for your word. I pray that we would find encouragement as we rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.